Hey, happy Thanksgiving. I want to first welcome everyone a happy, happy Thanksgiving. Um, one of the things that you know at the plant that we, we gather to do what? Oh, come on. No one's scattering that. We gather to what? Scatter. Scatter. So right now, my missional community, I'm really not supposed to be here, but because I'm the preacher guy, I'm here this morning. Uh, they are at this thing called the Basket Brigade in Glen Rock. And they are making, I forget how many hundred meals for families in need. They're throwing them in their cars and they're driving around and they're dropping them off. And so this is such a great tangible way for us to be the church. That's the key. How are we being the church? So often we think about church as a building. We think about church as just coming to a service. And that's not what it is. The church are the people of God who gather to be encouraged, to be uplifted, to be sent into the world to reveal the love, truth, and what? Compassion of Jesus Christ. And today, when so many people are celebrating uh, this week as they're getting ready to celebrate this holiday season, uh, one of the most um, defaming things that happen in our lives when we can't provide for our families. And so Thanksgiving is either a reminder of all of our blessings or all the things we do not have. And so I'm just thankful for being a part of a church that we would rather send people out into the community on a Sunday then to come here and worship. Now, does that mean that you just miss church because you want to? No. Okay? We gather for importance. We gather to be taught, to be equipped, to worship, to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on our Heavenly Father. We are going into a time of Advent. Advent is a time for us to focus on the birth of Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you. I know that right now, and this is just a, a national reality, we are in two different areas of our world right now with Christianity. The first, we're in a post-congregational era. What does post-congregational mean? Post-congregational means that this is not important. Okay? That gathering on Sundays is not important. Think about it. 30 years ago, whether you wanted to or not, you went where on a Sunday morning? Church. Okay? You went to church because that was part of your culture. Church is no longer part of our culture. But I want to encourage you this morning that in this post-congregational era, that especially during Advent, to take this time to recenter your lives on Jesus. We are going to equip you like we always do with your children. You know, what Sue is doing, let's not put our efforts in vain, that if you have kids, use this as an opportunity to disciple your children. Because if we are in a post-congregational era, what does that mean we're moving to? A post-Christian era. And right now, when you look all throughout the United States, there's two post-Christian areas in our country. The Northeast and the Northwest. Okay? But, there's one thing that's happening in this country that most people don't realize. That here in the Metropolitan District, God is at work. Something special is happening. That people are coming to faith again because they're finding who Jesus is in many ways in a new and fresh way. And so I want to encourage you that during this Advent season, to take this time and truly, truly focus on the meaning of Jesus. I think about worship. How easy it is for us to come here at 10.15, 10.20, just kind of wander in. Every single Sunday, we are going to be doing Advent readings and Advent candle. That it's going to start at 10 o'clock. And that's our time to start worship. 
allow this Advent to be a time of discipline, a time of preparing your hearts, that when we come here at 10 a.m., that we're saying, you know what? During this Advent season, we are realigning, reshifting, putting ourselves in the posture to say, God, whatever you want to do this Christmas season, we want you to do. And that's something that I'm going to go right into my sermon right from here, that, that there's been a lot that God has been challenging me on my heart. That there's been things that I've been wrestling through. And for all of you who are going through the Gospel Primer, how many of you guys are going through the Gospel Primers? Okay? I know there's more of you. If you're going through the Gospel Primers, raise your hand. Okay? Okay? Everyone else, a lot of you are lying. Alright? But in the Gospel Primers, this is our discipleship manual that we've been going through. That there's a lot of this whole idea of the Gospel that is truly about understanding what do we honestly believe. And when I say, what do we believe? I think about this idea that as we are here today, do we all believe in the Christmas story for the most part? Will we say yes? Yes. Would we all say that we're here because we believe in this big God, big G, right? That we believe that there's a creator of the universe. That we believe that, that He created in, 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 in this order of He created the heavens and the earth. He created the water. He created the land. He created the, bo- the birds and the fish of the land. And then He created that which was His greatest creation, which was who? Us. And then after He did all of these things, that He actually did the one thing that we never do, which was rest. But we have this idea, and, and for some of you, it's, it's really faith and belief is something new to your life. That you're stepping into this for the first time, and you're beginning to believe in this big God who sent His Son, Jesus, to die for the redemption of my sins so that I can go where when I die? Heaven. But this is what this Advent's about. We are going to look through four Gospel truths. And all I'm doing this morning is, is I'm introducing this sermon series with this idea of belief. What do you truly believe about Jesus? Do you truly believe, I'm going to throw four things at you, and each week we're going to walk through each one of them. Do you truly believe that God is good? Do you? Do you believe that He's so good for you that He is fully in control of your life? Okay. Take a personal inventory. How is God in control of your every single moment? What you do with your family how you treat your employees. All these different things. What you do when no one's looking. That's the biggest thing. Like, What do you honestly believe about God? Because here's the thing is, many of us have a good orthodoxy, which is a theological groundwork for what we believe. But a lot of us struggle with orthopraxy. How does my faith be lived out Every single day. Because if God is in control, then why do I lose my temper? If God is in control, then don't I believe that that the way that I treat my family is going to have consequences or benefits for the long term? If God is in control, that every decision I make, that I can trust Him, that when they're hard to make, that He is fully fully in control because we can believe in big God 
But the challenge is, is, do I believe God for now? This morning, the third song that we sang when Josh said this is a new song, that's not a song that, that Chris Tomlin wrote. But actually a better songwriter named Josh Pierce. And it's a song that Josh has been wrestling through for how long now? Months. While? Okay. Not that long? Okay, he keeps telling me about these new songs he's writing. But every song that Josh has written is not about this big G up here, but it's the big G that guides and directs his life. Josh and I, every single Wednesday, or at least we try every single Wednesday, to get time together. And we started off thinking about, is there even a big G? To now, how is big G affecting every single thing that I do? How does the big G affect how I treat Allison, who he loves with all his heart? How does the big G affect the times when he comes in conflict with other people? How does the big G affect him with, with being a parent? I remember one time we got together and he was just broken about a, a way that he felt that he messed up as a parent and all of a sudden he knew that this is a teachable moment. God needs to be in control and we walked right through it. But when you see those songs that, that Josh is writing, it's not about just some big G in the sky. Because who really cares, right? I mean, think about it. If God is not here and our beliefs aren't changing who we are, does it really matter? Does it really, really matter? And I think that's the question that the church has not asked for over the last 20 or 30 years. That's why no one goes back. How does God affect my life? Because here's what we're going to look at this morning. What we believe is more important than how we behave. Because our behavior is only, listen to me, our behavior is only a reflection of our beliefs. Now let me say this. There are times when I can choose to just say, forget you God no matter what I believe. Any of us ever do that? Raise your hands. So many liars in this room. I talk to you. You lie. How many times have we said, forget it. I'm choosing to do my thing. Even though I know you're in control of everything. But I would say that's only about 7% of the times. I would say that 93% of your life, the decisions that you make are a result of your unbelief. So take for that for a moment. Let's say that, that Rob's right, okay? And I can be wrong a lot of times. Let's say that Rob is right. And you take an inventory on how you live every day. Does that give you guilt? Or almost give you that Kairos moment like, wow, maybe that is true. Maybe there is truth to that, that I, that I keep falling into these patterns because my belief is broken. My belief is wrong. And so this morning, what we are going to talk about is our beliefs Versus our behaviors. 
Would you pray with me? Jesus, I ask You right now, God, I, I confess that You and I have been wrestling all week. All week. And God, on Friday, it was kind of the, the culmination of the fight where I found myself just literally raising my voice to You. And in that moment, as I raised my voice to You, You met me in my unbelief. And so God, this morning, I truly, truly confess to You that I want to align myself with what is true of You rather than in the things that I can control or even the choices that I make. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do me one favor this morning. Don't go on Facebook. Don't go on Instagram. Give me 20 minutes. I promise it'll be 20. To speak something to you that I truly believe for one of you, you're going to have that Kairos aha moment. That's going to literally reshape how you walk into this week. Let me tell you this. We need to first understand where does our belief start? Where do we start believing? Because we know so often that we, we, we almost like, it's almost kind of fake it till you make it, right? You ever hear that? You fake it till you make it. But we need to ask the question, where does belief begin? And belief begins in the heart. And when we look at the idea of heart, we're thinking about, so what is the heart? Okay, it's that muscle that pumps, that pushes blood all throughout our bodies. But, but what exactly is the heart? And this is where I love about Scripture because the idea of defining a heart can be so difficult because we almost want science to tell us what it is. The psychologist to tell us what it is. And there's so many components of the heart that we wrestle with that, that we don't even know how to say like, so why do you feel that? Why do you think that? But let's let the Bible tell us what the heart is. The first, the heart is our place of our emotional bank of a person. Right? Doesn't this make sense? Listen to what Jesus said in John 14.1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Our heart is that place of our emotions. Where all of our emotions sit and turn that are good, bad, or indifferent. The heart is also our intellect. Mark chapter 2, verse 8. Why do you question this in your hearts? Now, why didn't Jesus say, why don't you question this in your minds? So our intellect is actually wrapped up in what our heart is. Now the thing is, many times there's many people with many different personalities. Say, some people say, well, I think with my head and not with my heart. Well, maybe your heart is just wired different than other people. So our heart is our emotional bank. It's our intellect. And it's also our will. Listen to what Daniel said. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. There came a place in his heart when he was going through all that what he was going through in, in Daniel chapter 9, which was he was abducted. 
He was put into slavery. He was basically told, if you don't do what you are, if you don't do what you are told, you will die. That there came a place that his emotions were all over place. His intellect was thinking about, how did I get stuck in this place? And then all of a sudden, his heart determined that he would not sin against God. You see, that's your heart, your emotional bank. Your intellect and your will. But then there's one other component of the heart, and this is where sin comes in. It says, it says this in Jeremiah 17 the human heart is the most what? Deceitful of all things. And desperately what? Wicked. Who really knows? how bad it is. Think about this Sunday morning. What could have happened before church? You could have been in a huge fight with your spouse. You could have over-disciplined your children. You could have made completely wrong choices before you walked into this building. But once the band began to play, ching, 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 it's like, ah! Your heart in one moment, can hate an individual and in the next moment be praising Jesus. And so there's this whole wrestling match that that our heart is wired with our intellect, our will, our emotions, and at the same time, it is wicked and deceitful above all things. Let me just read you something that I wrote down. It says, the heart is the place where we make decisions, feel emotions, can be deceived, where we can lie, where we can lust, where we can choose to make wrong decisions and have irrational thoughts. If our hearts are the center of our being, this is this part's by Tim Chester, if our hearts are the center of our being, our belief, whether right or wrong, begins there. Our beliefs begin right here. And everything that we do is wrapped up in what we truly believe about two things. Ourselves and God. And for those people, and I say these two things because if someone doesn't believe in God, every decision is then based on who? Themselves. Why would there be any form of sanity if you don't believe in God? And this comes down to the question of sin. How often do we want to define sin by what we think is wicked and evil and those things that sicken us? Right? We all have a level of sin. Whether we are Christians or not, we all believe that there is a wrongdoing against God and against humanity, against others and against ourselves that we put on certain levels that either affects us or sickens us. I mean, think about this. A lie. A little white lie we can be okay with, right? Well, we didn't hurt anyone. But... What happens when someone tells a little white lie against you? Right? You see, that's where this whole idea of sin comes in is because our sin 
is really not a repercussion of just this behavior that, hey, you did this wrong. It's like with our kids. We keep telling them, act like this, but we never tell them why. Our sin is actually what we truly believe about God. When we sin, we are actually saying that, God, I don't believe that You are good. When we choose to sin to do something against God and God's will, we're actually choosing to say that, God, You are not great. When we choose to go our own way and, and, and choose different paths at work, at home, in marriage, in parenting, behind closed doors, we're saying, God, You are not glorious nor gracious. So where does this come from? Let me read to you from Genesis 3.6. Listen to this. And this is the important part. The woman was convinced. Underline that in your heart. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. What was the lie that Satan had told Eve? That if you eat of the tree, you will be like who? God. The woman was convinced that if she ate of the tree, she would be like who? God. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Now we love to blame the woman, right? But it actually was the man's fault because you know they had conversations of this on the way. Soon I have conversations about everything. Sometimes at 2.30 in the morning, are you awake? Yes. And he ate it too. The next slide. Is that it? At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their what? Nakedness. They had no idea what it meant to be naked. They didn't know the terminology nude. They just knew that they were alive and God's children. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. The most stupid leaf to ever use to sew for a wardrobe. And that can be a whole other Sunday sermon. But the problem was the woman believed the what? The lie. Her action was not the sin. Her actions were a result of her beliefs. Let me read something else that Tim Chester had written. And this is really good. He said, Sinful acts always have their origin, their beginnings, in some form of unbelief. Behind every sin is a lie. The root of all our behavior and emotions is the heart what it trusts and what it treasures. Not just what it trusts, but what it what? What it treasures. And so if there are those things in your life that you treasure more than anything else in their life, your heart will have the opportunity to truly believe God in that or what? Sway away. What are the most important things to you? Your children. Your spouse if you are married. 
your vocation, your finances. And when our hearts are, are challenged and our treasures are challenged, that's when we're challenged to sway. Not on Christmas believing that Jesus is the Son of God. You're here for that reason. Or there's some form of belief that you're saying, whether I fully believe or not, I'm sitting in the seats wanting to believe. But our decisions are challenged when the things we trust and treasure are affected the most. People are given over to sinful desires because they exchange the truth about God for a lie. Do you know where that comes from? Romans 1, 23-25. They exchange the truth of God for lies. You see, here's what I love about this idea of sin and belief. Because for me, I grew up that my behavior was sin. And so I grew up in a good Pentecostal home where we went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and every time we went out after church on Sunday night, we went to Matthew's Diner and we were allowed to get a bagel. Okay? I ate way too many bagels growing up. And then we went on Sunday. And then we went on every holiday. And then they had after holiday services. And then we had prayer meetings. And my whole life, in which my parents knew no different, was let's change his behavior so that his beliefs will follow. That was the greatest sin that any church has ever committed. Look like us. Dress like us. Act like us. Speak like us. My one good friend right now, and, and it's something that I've, a couple of my friends have done, is they have a swearing jar. And they have this jar where they put money in every time they swear. And they're like, oh, beep, shoot, beep, shoot. And the more they, the more they find themselves putting money in, the more they swear because they're so mad that they're, they're opening their wallets and they're putting it in. And I love that because he's like, you know what? I need to change my behavior. And we talk about it, and I've been there before. Trust me, my mouth before I came to Jesus was like, beep, 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 beep. I was like, I was like the teacher from Charlie, from Charlie Brown. And then the other word was something else. I knew for me that when I, when I had certain struggles and temptations that, that I was like, okay, if I can just stop doing this, God will show up. And it wasn't until this changed in my heart that, God, what do I truly believe about you? Are you bigger than my issues? Are you bigger than my behavior? And you see, this is where faith comes in. Faith is actually another word for belief. We only step out in faith by the things in what we believe in. How true that is. When you see and you read Scripture that God provided for Abram and Abraham and Moses and all these people and they stepped out in faith, why did they step out in faith? Because they truly believed that God would show up. That's what they believed. And their belief in stepping out with faith was saying, can I trust you more? Can I trust you more? Can I trust you more? That's all it was. But their faith was only 
a reflection of their belief. And I really think that there has to be a place where the church repents for this behavioral religion. That we come to a place where where people from the front and say, you know what, we're sorry for telling you that you have to be perfect. How many people say that, that I won't go to church until I get my life in order? Really? Isn't that why we go to church? We go to church so that we would be fed and we would start having this faith that we can believe in and we can start walking. I think about a Joe Chinisi. That that's what happened to him. He believed that there was something more and he showed up and he showed up and he showed up and God kept showing up in his belief that he was bigger than everything else. And every time that he and I have had any conversation, his belief was learning to just step out in faith and not worrying about his behavior. You see, that's where we get lost. And so we need to come to a place that we're truly going to ask ourselves, do I truly believe that God is great? Do I? And that he's fully in control of my life. Listen to this passage, this verse. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for him. Do you truly believe this verse about yourself? That this week, that when God's greatness and your control is challenged, that you will choose to do the right thing Trusting that He is in control with your children, with your vocation, with your marriage, with your relationship, with your finances, with everything. That God is fully in control. And He already has everything ordained for your life. You ever have one of those moments when you just want to run away? Anyone ever have that? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Finally, we've got some honesty in this room. Been praying for you guys. Men, there's two things we do true confessions. We fight or we what? Flight. This feels like there's so many times as, as a man that you can just kind of like fight into something and just say, I'm going to stick up for this and I'm going to believe in this. And, and that's very Rob Parkerish. If you know me, that I'm, I'm not afraid of conflict, I don't like conflict. But I'm willing to step into any conversation because I believe that God's in control. But I also struggle with God's control. And there's times that I just get so overwhelmed and so tired that I'm like, I just want to hop in my car and go to Vermont for a week by myself. And I was feeling that on Friday. Like, I just want to take off. I, I, just, I just need to be alone for a long, long time. And if you know me, I am the most extroverted person in the world. And I stopped and I had this thought and I said, let's just say I did this. Who would I truly be hurting? Who would I truly be sinning against? Sue. And my children. And the most godly thing I did on Friday was I called Sue and I said, honey bun, I'm really hurting. I'm struggling today and I just want to run away. 
but I would never run away because I never want to punish you for my unbelief. She's like, all right, that was great. Thanks a lot. What are you thinking about? I'm like, don't worry about it. I'm just struggling. And for me, that was a proclamation of authority that I'm not going to let my moment of my way to be dictated by my unbelief that I know and believe that God is fully in control of every single moment. And that, in that moment, God said, I'm in control of your children. I'm in control of their healing. I'm in control of your home. I'm in control of the ministry that you're in. I'm in control of your finances. I'm in control of your dog, Jake. I'm in control of everything. The thing that I'm pushing, pushing into you, Rob, is do you let me be in control? What about this? God, God is glorious, so I don't have to fear others. For all you people pleasers out there, which I struggle with too, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Proverbs 29, 25. Do you truly believe that God is glorious? That in every situation, in every conversation, in every way that you don't have to manipulate, that you don't have to feel inferior, that you don't have to you know, play down to people, but that God is glorious. What about God is good so I don't have to look elsewhere for my satisfaction? Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow, James 1.17. Does your satisfaction... We were joking around in the, in the back band room because Craig hands out candy every time, or really breath mints. I think he all thinks that we have bad breath. Craig, where's Craig? Craig, where are you? Craig, he's back there? Okay, somewhere. He's, where, he took off? He's getting more candy. So anyways, he hands us breath mints. And so we're thinking like, dude, does our breath stink? And he's like, no, he's just trying to be nice. And so we started singing, who can make the sun rise? The candy man can. And then Josh breaks out into the dead tune, the candy man. And he's singing this dead tune. I'm like, dude, don't go there. I can't go there. That's bad candy. Bad candy. But true. There are times, true confession, there are some Led Zeppelin songs I can't listen to. There are some door song that all of a sudden, riders on the storm, that my head wants to find this peace and satisfaction in something else than Jesus Christ. Is Jesus your true satisfaction that any addiction, whether it's pride, arrogance, anything. You see, drugs and alcohol are just an outlet of what's going on in your heart. That's all it is. When you run to cigarettes, when you run to alcohol, when you run to gambling, when you run to to having to be rich and wealthy, that's just a reflection. Do you truly believe that God is good and He can be your full satisfaction? That's a hard one, isn't it? What about when you hear the worst news in the world? Who's going to bring you your peace? Who's going to bring you your, san- your, your sanity? And last, lastly, God is gracious so I don't have to prove myself to others, to God, or myself. How often, if God is gracious, why do we keep trying to prove ourselves? Why? I'm really bad at this one. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
So I live in the earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave His life for me. When I became a Christian, God just cleaned me out. I still had certain things that I ran to, certain things, certain candies, let's call them, that, that gave me momentary satisfaction, but my big candies went away. But I remember, I didn't give a rip what people thought. I didn't care what my future held because I knew that I found peace and security in Jesus. And even this morning, I brought the guys in and I said to both the band and separately to Omar and Jeremy, I said, this Christmas Advent, we need to go back to the first of the lover of our soul. Are we willing to go back to that first place that we realize that Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. That's all, he, that's all that matters. That He is my first love. And i got to tell you something. You guys think you have it hard working in the world? My first love is challenged all the time because I'm dealing with faith in a way that my faith is conflicted all the time. When I see people make stupid choices, when I see myself in situations where I thought that God was going to do more than He's done, and for me there's times of my first love is so challenged that I want to throw away the ministry. And I want to go work in the world. Because I feel like at times, true confessions. I feel like Abraham, like God, you promised. And this is why I need the swearing jar. Where are you? Where are you? You've promised me these things. And so even as though God has put this on our hearts for our church to go through, I'm confessing today that I am challenging my soul. God, do I truly believe that You're great, that You're gracious, that You're glorious, and that You're good? And let me just tell you, there's nothing wrong with the swearing jar. Sometimes we need that, right? Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need these things for people to keep us accountable. But accountability means nothing if we're not willing to deal with our unbelief. Amen? Why ask someone to tell you to stop drinking if you're not willing to wrestle through your belief? Why ask someone to keep you accountable with with smoking if you're not willing to, to deal with your belief issues? Why ask someone to keep you accountable for purity if you're not really willing to wrestle through your beliefs about who Jesus is and who you are? Why why have accountability about your finances if you truly don't believe that God is in control? Why? Accountability means nothing unless you are willing to put yourself in a place of saying, God, in my sin and in my brokenness and in my wrong choices, I'm going to re-look at what I truly believe about you. Does anyone need to hear this this morning? This is Advent. This is the story of Jesus. Forget how I end it. This is the story of Jesus coming to earth. That God wanted to redeem Genesis chapter 3. That our hearts are convinced that He is better. And that we shift our hearts from unbelief to what? Belief. And that every time that you realize that your heart is wicked, you say, God, forgive me. I give you my heart. Listen to this one last verse. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. That's what Jesus cares about more than anything else. He doesn't care about your job. 
He doesn't care how smart you are. He doesn't care about all the little things that you worry about. All He cares about is your heart. Because out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. Your mouth praises. Your mouth curses. Your mouth sings songs of happiness. Or your mouth goes in the wrong direction. I hate it when I say that I that like after I kind of rant and rave to my wife about another person, which we all do to our spouses, let's be honest. And I say, oh, I don't really believe that about them. Rob, you're a liar. There's a part of you that truly believes that about that individual. And you need God to change your belief. True confession. True confession. Even to her. There are times that I've said worse things to my wife than I would say to my worst enemy. And I had to come back and say, those aren't true. I believe you're not that way. If you believe that Jesus was that baby born in a manger, then how do you live your every single day? You know what's pretty funny about this? It sounds pretty deep, right? This is Christianity 101. And yet, for some reason, the churches want to ignore it. Shame on us. Forgive me. And I say this from the heart of all the pastors for trying to convince you that it's about your behavior. Forgive me. For if you've been had pressure that you have felt of having to perform, because every single thing you do, whether it's to show up on a Sunday, participate in MC, be part of the baskets, choose how you live at work, has nothing to do about right or wrong decisions. It has to do with what you believe. And so this morning, This morning is a confession of belief. Jesus, do I truly believe that you love me and you gave your life for me? You know where that was from? The first passage we read as we started the service. So if you weren't here, you didn't get to hear that. But I want to challenge you today Stop thinking big belief, but let that big belief be right here. Amen? Amen.